0: So I uh, met today's guest in the cyberspace. I, of the thousands of messages that come, thank you all for, so much for getting in touch on social media. I find this message that at the beginning sounded you know similar. Hey, I heard this conversation of you on that podcast and it was really eye-opening. And I actually try to answer every message that I get as much as I can. So I opened it and I read it attentively and... I felt that I needed to ask a few questions and so I got back to that person and asked a little more about his story and I was blown away. So my guest today is Dimitris Mothonaios, Greek, my Greek is not amazing. So Dimitris Mothonaios and he is a Greek theater and TV screen actor, a big shot, actually, in Greece. His television debut came at age 23 on a Greek TV series that was called The Last Performance. And then he won, went on to star in a very popular series that was called Karma, and then later took a part in a comedy series, Mimes kas uh, in 2019, he starred in the leading legendary Greek uh, drama, Life in the Tomb, which was based on a portrait, if you want, of a um, Greek soldier in World War I. So very varied, very diverse experiences. Recently, he starred in A Day in the Life of a Teddy Bear, which I think is a wonderful story of a Greek and a Chinese person meeting in and the first interactions and connection between them. He starred in Shakespeare to every kind of theater or TV or cinema uh, that you can think of. Big in Greece, if you want, but... That's not what connected us. What connected us was his personal story, which touched my heart so deeply. And his commitment to the world as a result of that personal story, which in all honesty, made me feel that one billion happy is not such a big deal. This person took his tragedy and turned it into an incredible effort to make things right. And for that... I already think that I love this person deeply. I have never met Dimitris in person, and we decided that our first meeting was going to be on slow-mo so that genuinely you can hear the story, at least as I hear the details of the story. And I'm sure that you will find this so inspiring that it will change the way you look at your world and the world of those that you love every day. Dimitris Mothanias. Everyone listening to us, I'm meeting my new friend for the first time. We have been in touch for a long time. And we've been, we decided that when we meet for the first time, we're going to record it for you, because I think you will see layers and layers of depth uh, of Dimitri that are truly quite intriguing, as I have discovered over time. Uh, but yes, this is uh, your part of our introduction. So welcome to the to the new meeting. And um, I want to start, Dimitri, by introducing people to your public figure, which is Quite incredible, really, in many ways. But uh, maybe tell people a little bit. So you're a theater actor, you're a TV actor, you're every kind of actor, right?
1: My latest project, which is uh, is premiering in uh, two weeks, is a movie we uh, filmed in China, which is a project I'm really, really proud of. Not just in professional terms, but also if we take into consideration connecting between different people, different civilizations and, 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 it's the first uh, Greek Chinese co-production. And it's um, a love story about a Chinese girl and a European guy who they just meet on the street in Shanghai. And the need to connect is just um, something undeniable. So they just uh, keep following each other for 20 hours. And we watch this on real time as um, oh, it nice. a relationship, which is all about tell me something about you and let me tell you a few things about myself. And and they end up helping each other in um, many, many ways. It's very, very human and uh, and very nice. And it was, um it was my real experience from Shanghai because I, I actually flew from Greece to Shanghai and I stayed there and I, I didn't know my partner before. and you know, It was really difficult to, uh, until we understood, you know, to break the first barriers that I didn't look Greek to her. She thought I was from India is what she kept saying. (laughs)
0: Okay. You don't look like you.
1: Yes. And I was very much Mediterranean in my body language and the expressions. So I was sort of like scaring her in the beginning, (laughs) but then it was so amazing. What it all comes down to is just that we're all humans with the same need for love, the same need for happiness. And it's just, uh, we ended being really good friends.
0: I find that fascinating, actually, as a start of our conversation, because more and more now, I think, as the world is becoming bigger and you go around the world everywhere, you realize that underneath we're all just the same, same need for love, same need for connection, but also many of us similar difficulties, similar challenges and and so on. Which I think is fascinating. The idea of you being in Athens, one of my favorite countries on earth. Just people understand if you have not been to Greece, you don't know what you're missing, right? And I'm being I'm here in Dubai and we connect and we can chat and people can watch us. It's just incredible when you think about it. I wanna ask you about the experience of being a famous actor. So What is it like? Are you like the kind of guy that has people, paparazzis around you and, uh, you know, when you go to a cafe in Greece, life is very uh, busy and so on?
1: But, but, you know, Greece is a small country, so uh, it's really easy. uh, Like if you're downtown in Athens, everybody knows you already. There's, I know the paparazzi guys, (laughs)
0: so you pause and smile
1: (laughs) like not today maybe you know i'm having a bad hair day or something (laughs) but it's very um it's such a small market and a small country that it's at least my experience is that it's um very sweet and just an exchange of uh, a love and appreciation between people actually it's quite funny because i'm doing this tv series now that i'm um I'm a very uh, bad guy, supposedly. Uh, oh, I'm scared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows me by now because I've been very public about my life and all. So, you know, um, the ladies who watch the show will come by and say, you know, I don't bite it that you're a bad guy. <laughs> <But> keep going. <laughs> yeah. I, I really think this is, this is a true connection, you know, that, um, I find it very, very touching that they sort of um, they see through me. They understand what it is to perform and to be to be mm. in and out of act. I think it's a very, very nice, very, uh, very nice relationship because what I really admired in China, which is I think we have the same thing in um, in Greece too, because there's a long tradition of theater and everybody used to go to the theater from the ancient times until the very recent ones. And Athens is one of the capitals that has like the many more theaters even than London. It's quite, you know, quite interesting and impressive. And um, there's a lot of respect for what uh, for what we do in the sense that it's um, an art form that everybody respects. But mostly, to me, my understanding of this is that you know it's a responsibility in a very funny way too. Also, because I don't like taking things seriously, but it's a responsibility, you know, to be a human being, um, a nice organ, you know, to be able to transmit all kinds of feelings or, you know, mimic these feelings and uh, remind people of that. So um, so it's always been, to me, it's always been like uh, the perfect um, opportunity to keep working on myself, to keep digging, getting rid of burdens and of all kinds of bondages so, you know, that I can be uh, free and functional both in my life and, and on
0: scene. Why would you, out of all people in the world, play the bad guy? I just don't get it. Like, it's such a, it's like you're so out of your comfort zone, honestly, <laughs> you know, why would you do that? But you know what, it's quite uh, it's
1: quite relieving in a way because I've, I've never been like to the least vengeful or, or even close to, you know, thinking about taking revenge or doing anything like that. And I'm this guy who just enters the room we're gonna to have to deal with this guy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so
1: it's quite, <laughs> it's quite nice because I would never have the, the opportunity to do it in real life.
0: uh, Yeah, yeah. I I sometimes pretend and and tell my friends that I have two assassins work for me, just because the idea of instilling justice with force in life, it's like, I can do that. It's like, you know, if you annoy my friends, I will have one of my assassins shoot you. They don't buy it, really. I mean, nobody has actually ever said, okay, send one of the assassins. (laughs) I might need one of them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I actually think it's a, it's a very valuable team to have on your side in, uh, so in some parts of the world. That life of the famous, if you want, the successful career, has it always been that way? I mean, since your very first audition, they picked you and said, okay, this is the man?
1: To be honest, it's been an easy ride professional-wise for me. Uh, like, Oh, yeah, it needed to be. I began right. working right before, I mean, even before I finished the school, drama school. And I was, uh, I worked at the National Theater, which is um, one of the best places to be if you want to be an actor in Greece. And um, I worked with everybody, not only the Greek directors, but also, you know, like uh, foreign directors, very successful directors were, were invited to direct for the National Theater, So I gained a lot of experience and uh, I had like five, six shows per year. So I would be rehearsing in the morning and at night would be playing, you know, the previous uh, play and the next one. But I wasn't doing any TV or anything. So it was uh, sort of like very functioning, very successful, but protected. Not really popular in the sense of the popularity that TV would give to an actor. So, you know, I was always working. I was really, uh, I was getting... Uh, all that you can get out of your job when it's satisfactory. But the thing with, let's say, publicity and and fame, if you would call it this way, is a thing that uh, I started on my own five years ago. In a relationship where my girlfriend at the time, she had uh, an Instagram account and she was very popular. And I didn't have it and I didn't want it either. I didn't have any social media. I was sort of like making fun of her because of um, she was, um, you know, doing the product placements and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, if I do it, I'm going to do it better than you. I was a bit competitive at the time with my <laughs> my partners. And then we broke up, and I decided to open an uh, an Instagram account. And by mistake, um, a friend texted me a message, and I responded to him with a video, which instead of sending directly in the messages i put it as a story and i was doing the character because at the time i was speaking you know in other so i was speaking like that which was just my joke uh at the time and this first story started inviting people that they found it really funny so i started this whole instagram persona which was i uh, think that was very very successful and uh by mistake, this joke just ended up with a lot of... Um, so now I have like five years later, you know, an Instagram account that's really working mm-hmm. and uh, it provides an income and it's it's very funny how, how it...
0: Uh, Isn't it? I mean, when I asked the question, I actually expected you to have had an easy start in life because in your professional life, because in your real life, and the reason we connected so deeply, you and I... Oh my God, man, like what you've been through is just, just, uh, I mean, I, I honestly think that if you're famous and successful and rich and everything for the rest of your life, it wouldn't even pay back half of what you've gone through, isn't I it? I would agree with that. Please. Let <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, let's make life go that way.
1: <laughs> let's please pray towards this direction.
0: Yeah. And honestly, enough hardship. I mean, and you, you so touched my heart because you openly share about what most people would want to completely forget. It's just, I don't know if you're open to sharing with all of us. Of course, the
1: thing is I, um, I had been doing a lot of work, psychotherapy, psychoanalysis, yoga, meditation, coaching, you know, all kinds of different things. The past five years I've been in a 12 step meeting because, you know, I had, I also had issues with alcohol, etc. So I've tried all kinds of different tools to walk through this hardship and uh, and then a friend of mine insisted that I listen to one podcast you did on Steven's platform where you were talking about, about yeah. your life and um, your story and um, usually I'm really, you know, I'm very um, impatient with new stuff that somebody suggests but for some reason I was working too hard at the time so I, I wouldn't get to listen to it. And he kept on insisting. He's like, man, I'm telling you, you really need to listen to this podcast. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to put it on right now. And then the phone would ring and something. And one day I was on my way to shooting for the series. I remember exactly where I was and I put on the podcast and the first three or four minutes I had to pull over. Oh man! I was a bit late at work. (laughs) (laughs) I remember exactly where I was. And, um, I mean, it brought tears to my eyes. All of it, but mostly what you said, the openness in which you talked about the death of your son and also the simplicity I read. I mean, I doubt it can be that simple, but the simplicity you, I read in you and in your decision. So early to say, sort of like what I read into it is, you know, I will never manage to get over this, but I can transcend it. I can walk through Mm. it and I can walk on Mm. the other side. Yeah, and right or did I did I misread something?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. There are things in life that happen that, if you have the slightest bit of intelligence, you realize this is it. Part of your life, it's included, it's integrated, and you can respond to it by saying, "I okay, I I'm, I am a victim. I can suffer for the rest of my life," or you can simply say, "Okay, it's part of me now. What can I do to make my life better?"
1: So this re- literally brought tears to my eyes. I mean, I um, I couldn't help but uh, reach out to you Im- immediately after I.
0: Why is it that you believe that that life is harsh sometimes? I mean, you're we're going to talk about this. Your the hardship you went through is just incredible. But why do you believe that is the case?
1: I mean, for me, I used to have um, I used to have a theory until you know I worked through it that. Higher power, God uh, used to be my enemy and he wanted to give me a hard time. So basically, I was uh, moving around in life like a victim, expecting always the worst things. And with this um, perspective in mind, this was what was happening. This becomes your reality. Yes. Let's, it actually became my reality. I grew up in a very unsafe environment, even though it seemingly was safe. So for me, the, the trigger with children is always, they understand when something is wrong and if you try to prove them wrong, you know, because you want to cover up for the whole situation, this is the worst thing. So the problem was, was for me was delusion. So I was brought up in a completely delusional uh, environment where my parents were uh, professors, they were, well-respected, they had their friends socially, everything was uh, really functional. Uh, I didn't have any siblings, so I was an only child and uh, I thought everything was, was normal, but something was really wrong that I couldn't identify it because for me, I was uh, I was receiving sexual abuse within my home from a very young age and I couldn't recognize it. I mean, I was uh, 26 when this abuse was repeated on me when I was an adult now, and that's when it all started coming back.
0: Oh my God.
1: Yeah. I I never had the understanding that I was being abused. And this is, um, this is a very common thing that happens in very young ages that, uh, you would delete this, this whole memory because the body is so terrified and it's a very common defense mechanism. So, um, uh, I still there's still things I don't remember and but the funny thing is this so I mean I was receiving this abuse uh, I couldn't recognize it so I felt unwanted worthless without really basically knowing why and my mom either so there was nothing she could do because she wasn't a witness to this and um And also, on the other hand, I was a very good student. So everybody was, there was no unconditional love towards me that I could perceive it as such. Everybody was praising me for being very smart or being very good or bringing and delivering good grades. So I was always studying, you know, in order to continue getting this love. And there was this person from within the house that what happens is the the, the child will always think they have um, provoked this um so Mm. what my mind was telling me because i had erased the assault was that i was in love with this person so i would uh, buy his perfume i would uh, he would leave his t-shirt on like on a chair in the summertime or something you know in our country house and i I would take the t-shirt and smell it and and i couldn't understand what was wrong with me you know because i i thought it was it was something to do with me and this is the thing that confused my whole sexuality and my whole spectrum of, of relationships and relationships with men and everything. And I didn't even know why. So I always had, you know, all these feelings that were completely suppressed and I didn't know how to deal with them. So around high school, I started using alcohol really heavily. My grades dropped. It was my sort of like revolution and my body never felt safe, but I didn't know why. So gradually, even though I, my grades had dropped, I was such a good student that I got accepted into law school to study law, but I couldn't follow there because I was um, drinking. I was using, I, I was never at school. And that's when the drama thing sort of um, as an idea, the drama school thing provided a solution because being an artist, you know, would be a label that be socially accepted in my head to do anything. I wanted, you know, and live a crazy (laughs) life and have like no Mm. schedule and nothing. So this leaded to me having an accident, a very serious accident, because I was, uh, I was really drunk. I was on the highway and I was walking. Oh my God. Yeah. And I got run over by a car. Wow. Yeah. And I woke up in hospital and still nothing. Still, I couldn't see how self-destructive I was, what was wrong with me. So it was during the time that I was, uh, crippled and completely disabled in my bed that this person came to me and he repeated this sexual behavior to me but now I was you know I was a grown up and I could recognize this and from the way he touched me and the things he would tell me all these memories started waking up and that's when I realized that this had happened so then was the beginning of a of a huge struggle for me to to prove that this was, that had happened, to confront this person and tell him that this had happened, but he would deny it, and, uh, and his wife too, and these were like very, very close friends and members of the, of the family, and my mom, uh, she wouldn't listen to it, she didn't want to recognize this abuse either, and neither would my dad. So nobody was paying attention to me, and everybody had taught me to trust my, my mind, and Brain and my perceiving ability, but then everybody would discredit me, and it took me another seven years. Wow! Yeah,
0: it took me seven years. Of what? Of of struggling to prove to the world that you went through that experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would.
1: It was a whole cycle of. Let me try again. No, they don't believe me. So I'm back to my drinking, using my habits, my, my self-destructive things an autoimmune disease, um, everything, more things, like more accidents, more things, more things. So I was literally trapped in this, uh, in this mouse, truck, mm. basically, where there was no joy, there was nothing. Um, I would get as productive. It was a, a complete misery. And then, um, and then I just, um, I started therapy with this new therapist and he managed to see through, because I, I even had therapists, I would describe them, the facts, and they wouldn't identify this situation as a sexual assault, they would say. They would undermine, even they, the whole situation. So I I really ended up questioning my own head and uh, my sensations and everything. And uh, so five years ago, I, I was recommended to... This uh, psychiatrist, and he was the one who started helping me to put the whole piece of the, of the puzzle together, one after the other. And then, um, and then last year, one year ago exactly, a whole thing happened in Greece. The same sort of like Me Too movement came to Greece a few years delayed, as mm-hmm. it happens with most of the things in Greece. We follow that. <laughs> The tendency <laughs> in the world with a sort of a,
0: a delay. At Greek speed. You follow, but you do it at Greek <laughs> speed. Yeah, <laughs> In a very relaxed, uh, relaxed... Exactly. It's like, we'll take our life. It's going to come, but you know, when it comes. Yeah. It always yeah. comes, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So reading about all these interviews of people having been insulted, having been raped, I just, I don't know how to describe it, but I, um, this whole thing just... I couldn't sleep at night. It got reactivated again and I could see that I hadn't dealt with it properly. Mm. Nobody mm. recognized that it had happened. I hadn't done anything towards this direction or so I decided I was really very emotionally, you know, very emotionally, uh, activated. disturbed. Yeah, I hadn't yeah, disturbed activated. So I decided yeah. to do about it. So I was, uh, at the time I was, uh, working in a morning show as a co-host. So I asked, from the main presenter of the show to come to my house. And I don't know exactly what I want to talk about, but let's do an experiment and let's talk about it. Because even at the time I hadn't recognized, even last year, I wouldn't talk to a person the way I'm talking to you right now, because I wasn't I wasn't sure yet what exactly had happened. So this woman who's a, a very close friend of mine, I was like, something has happened. I'm not exactly sure what it is. I want to talk about it. Do you want to bring over a crew at my place and see what happens let's just Mm -hmm. see what happens i'm not even sure what i want to talk about and she trusted her dad and she came here and we did this interview which was a 20 minute uh, 20 minute interview the minute the cameras were on it just happened. i had prayed before i'd done my meditation and it was like a, a download i opened my mouth and everything had been processed and it was ready to be spoken about my words had They were there and then came, of course, the second wave of anxiety was when it was going to be on because it was an amazing psychotherapy for me. My transcendence was this. I began the interview, the person I was before, and when I finished 20 minutes later, I was another person. I was already in the other, the edge of the tunnel. It it happened just like that for me and uh, I didn't even know what what I had said and there were it was very funny because they were in my house. These people, everybody from the show, and the minute I was finishing the interview, I was so in inside, and I mm-hmm. heard some noises. I, I don't understand what it was, and I and I look around, you know, and everybody's crying, and I'm like, "Absolutely, how is this possible? What did I even say?" And then two days later, it was on, and the thing that happened was, I mean, I got more than forty thousand. DMs on my Instagram account, 40,000 people from Greece who reached out to me to say they have the same
0: story. Oh my God. You see, this is what kills me, Dimitri. This is so common. Mm -hmm. And it's not spoken about. And today you highlight to me that it's not even recognized by the victim, by the person that's been exposed to this. You don't even recognize it until... Something triggers this. I'm sure that perpetrator has probably attacked others too. This is the amazing thing that happened.
1: So just like with our messages, one night I can't sleep because, you know, I'm so overexcited about all these messages, these people, the reaction, how can I help? But I open my eye and it writes 40,001 requests, something like that on the general messages. And I just decide I'm going to read one message now. And it's this message that I have to read, that I would miss otherwise, just like you you described our communication. And it's another relative who recognized who I was talking about, even though I didn't mention anyone, I didn't say any names, I didn't say anything. And she's like, was it this person? Because he has done this to me too. Oh, wow. And then it turns out it was all like another two girls from within the family. and And of course, this is... I mean, to me, it was unimaginable, but this is the way, exactly the way it works, as you say, because these people follow a pattern. It's not just um, the victim most of the times thinks that they are the one to blame. But if you think about it, it's it's even more tragic that there's so many people that have been abused. But actually, this is also, in in a very weird sense, it's also liberating to the victim because it's clear that it's not about you. It's just this person who is very, very sick and suffering uh, in his traumas that nobody has helped him get over it. And of course, his wife, even after all this, went publicly and other relatives communicated this to her, apart from me, that your husband has done this to me too. So she received other calls too. And still she went on with her denial because it's like, 50 years of marriage to this person. And so for me, this is, this is also very, very essential and a key point of how and why these perpetrators continue their action and their relieving in their trauma is because they also have a whole environment that, that allows this. If it was on, on their hand, in order for them not to face the situation in which they're in, they would have completely driven me crazy if it were in their hands, and it almost happened. So this is a, a like a second cycle of abuse, you know what I mean? Because it's, to me, it's not about, of course it is, the primary thing is f- for these people to be killed for their trauma so that they do not cause any more harm. But this is a second cycle of harassment, is when you have, even in court or in front of other people, when you have to, again, stand up for this, and nobody believes you, yeah. or they say they had it coming, or, I mean, you were a grown man now, so how did you not fight back? Or, and nobody understands that the importance of speaking about this matters is because when it's out there, everybody will be more alert or perpetrators in the future might be more afraid to do that. Or we have the right sexual education from kindergarten. There's been studies in Sweden and Switzerland for more than 20 years. The children who receive sexual education since kindergarten, first of all, they're not that easy victims because the perpetrator mm. can see or they brain. know that something is wrong, yeah, and they will recognize it, so the person will not come, which is amazing how you can just magically solve all of this if you would like to. So the magical thing that happened is that receiving all of these messages and you know understanding that it's not just about me, my bubble this little dark bubble where I was unsafely safe, if we may say for all these years, completely erupted. And I was free. I was a free man at the age of 36 last year. And I was not a part of the problem anymore. So I started seeing how I could help. And I reached out to this um, to this uh, NGO that's uh, the, the only one we have in Greece that's... Um, Working on, on the issue of abuse, uh, we're working together, we're doing TV spots, we're reaching out to the people, uh, we're trying to help these whose cases can stand in court, because mine, the law system in most of the countries, but in Greece specifically, is such that these crimes are not, after some years, you know, you can't, you can't, Wow. yeah, you can't present them in court, it's over. What? Yes, of course. This is not a uh, What's
0: wrong with humanity? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I normally don't go there in slow-mo conversations. I I really just love the connection, but I I need to discuss solutions to this. So, when Me Too was erupting, the thing that really crushed my heart was every Me Too felt as if I was assaulted, honestly. In my heart, I just I just couldn't imagine the magnitude of abuse that's happening in the world. And I think the thought that was constantly happening in my mind being a very diligent engineer, if you want, was how can we move the Me Too movement to the never again movement? And I think the the reality, I mean, around the same time or slightly after that, I had the joy of being with a wonderful woman, a very dear friend. She was really a very close friend. And she confined in me that she had been raped and she was gorgeous. And of course, you can imagine in her young years in parties and so on. So anyway, that happened and we ended up being together. And exactly what you described, it was a short two, three months that we spent together or something. It was short, but it was so obvious that she constantly thought of herself as the reason why it happened that she was a bad person, that she somehow didn't deserve to be loved or to be appreciated, that she didn't think of herself as beautiful anymore. And all of those in my mind were like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? First of all, you were in your late teens. So that clearly is not your mistake. Second, you're gorgeous. You're such a wonderful human being inside and out. And how can you see it any other way? And so I went through that experience of being so close to someone who I saw very differently than they saw themselves. And actually one of the happiest relationships after my marriage, because eventually she actually could see herself through my eyes. She could actually feel how amazing she was. And I still, until today, I get, messages from her saying she found love and she found an amazing man. And she's she keeps saying, okay, it's because you made me believe that I'm worthy of an amazing man, right? And that bit to me is actually the responsibility of all of us. It's it's to actually take the people that have gone through that experience and simply tell them how gorgeous, how amazing, how courageous, how wonderful, how not wrong in any way they are. But But to me this is sort of the the response after the disaster, okay? I find that the disaster is just unacceptable. It's unacceptable that that this happens among us and we don't even recognize it. I mean, there must be, as as you rightly said, there must be a form of education for the child, but also for the parents, also for the common person, for the neighbor, for the friend of the family, right? There needs to be, laws in place that simply criminalize this worse than we criminalize murder because this destroys people's lives. For years and years and years, you go through killing yourself slowly like you were telling your story without even knowing why you're doing it. I mean, how can that be accepted? How can we change this? I mean, please tell me how we can start something that ends this.
1: I'm afraid in in most of the cases, this has to do with how our um, our society has and is always working. It's definitely a matter of power. It's not just about the high-profile cases of uh, producers and, uh, and actresses. It's not just about the stereotype. Even a person who's older than another person, you know, he's a grown man of I don't know thirty something, and this is a child. It's a matter of power. Most of the times these people are deeply traumatized people who are afraid themselves. That's why when a trained child...
0: That is so compassionate of you to say, I don't care.
1: I have to deal with it this way because otherwise the road uh, with rage and anger was just turning back towards me. So, you know, I can't carry this in. I can't carry this load anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, Mm -hmm. I just have to let go. And by understanding that this person might have also been abused himself by his own dad or by someone else, you know, that makes it a little bit, to me, more understandable. So these people usually are very afraid. They're very afraid, but that's why I'm, I'm focusing on power. But they can spot on the person who they think is powerless, considering their own, power level. So that's where they attack. So for me, the, the one thing is what we're trying to do now in Greece, which is a small country with a lot of, of incidents within the family that no one's going to talk about it. I mean, you know, there's cases where the mom witnesses the abuse that the dad imposes on the child and she will not speak out of her embarrassment. Everybody's mm. guilt and shame. That's the other
0: side of it. Everybody's
1: yeah. guilt and shame is really yeah. infused in this. You know, it's like, have I chosen a parent for my child who is a bad choice? So this means I yeah. brought this person into the life. What will everybody say? What will my mom say? What will the neighbor say if they understand I've been married to a person who is abusive? It's this. Yeah,
0: I can see that.
1: That yeah. by, only by speaking very openly about it and encouraging the people who've gone through to speak about it is, is the one thing. The other one, for sure, is um, the sexual education programs at school. And then it's just, I don't know, I mean, I wouldn't want to turn magically everybody into good people, and I, and I don't even believe in that separation. But since we can't do that, at least if the legal system would be stricter on these cases, then these people might think, twice or three times before. Yeah, that there is a price to pay. Yeah, That there is a price to pay. Because now, especially in Greece, we try to change the legal uh, surrounding of the cases. And it's, some changes have happened, but it's, it's almost a very hard thing to change because once you reach the age of 18, you have like four more years until you can file these cases that happened when you were underage. But for most of the times, because I've read all kinds of researches, Most cases of child abuse, and this is exactly what in my messages people would tell me, most cases of child abuse, the trauma is so big that you might even reach the age of 50 and not have understood what has happened. This is your defense mechanism when something that huge happens to you. And um, the proof in my case is the same exact thing happened when I had my car accident. Because I was on foot. I was on foot on the highway. And this huge car approached me with a speed of oh, 9 kilometers per hour. And I don't remember anything. And my mind deleted a few minutes before. That is an unbelievable analogy. It's exactly the same. And I brought this upon me. But this wake-up call didn't work for me. I want to, answering your question, the first question you said, that why can life be so hard on me? on some people on old people all the time, some of the times, etc. To me now I understand that my core deep inside is completely intact.
0: I love you man. You're the best. It is,
1: but it is. I'm very much in love right now. For the first time I can feel my body functioning, my heart is open and ready to be loved and give and receive love. And so I understand that I was one of the people who could go through this whole cycle and survive. So that's why it happened. And the only reason and, and service and purpose in my life is to carry this message now. Is to say that if I can be happy, anyone can and has to. You know, I mean, it is possible if you want it. It's been really hard for me really really hard it's been it's been really hard because i didn't know why i was in such a state i couldn't find a solution because if you don't recognize what has happened to you you can't work through it and you can't eventually leave it so i was really afraid to see inside what there was because i didn't know and i didn't have any of the tools so i was covering it up with all kinds of other you know like fun parties um substances alcohol all of this which was eventually leading me into another cycle of self-destruction and had me thinking it was always me, that I was my enemy. When I was just brought into this life and the people who were supposed to take care of me, they were the ones who abused me. So I've managed to return and I can I can almost feel it in my soul and in my body that now that I'm very much in love and it's the start of this relationship, I really feel as if, as if I'm picking it up from the age of five or six. I really feel very much like a child who wants to play with another child. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's a true miracle to me. It's a, a miracle of, uh, of life. And uh, if anyone, this is why I'm, I'm talking about it, to me, there was no other way. But now that I've, that I've been through it and it's over, I will not shut up talking about it.
0: And that's, I think, remarkable. I think we should all do that. I mean, if anyone's ever been abused, they should talk about it. It's therapy for, for oneself, but it's eye-opening for the rest. Can I ask you a couple of very specific questions for our listeners to be very... I have to just uh, remind you at this point that nobody
1: in my country had ever spoken about this matter before I did.
0: Um, yeah, I know that. Yeah.
1: Most importantly, like a guy that would be a huge taboo exactly. for Greek society too, because we're not most basic issues of sexuality and other kinds of um, life choices. There's still taboos in this very small country that we are. So,
0: I mean, I think it's interestingly, it is in many places. So even places that welcome gender diversity and sexual preferences and so on, it's more likely to hear a girl being abused than a boy being abused. I think, I don't know if that's because you now, my, one of my dearest friends and my very dear friend, Jimmy Nelson, who was here on slow mo as well and became my friend from slow mo It seems that it's not as rare as we think it is that a boy is, is abused. And it's, it is shocking actually in some of the Western advanced society where freedom of expression is supposed to be embraced and freedom of choices and so on, that these are not spoken about. The Me Too movement itself is just a proof of that, that until then, no one was talking about it. But I think what you're doing, Dimitri, if you allow me, is that you're talking about it from within, from your heart you're not talking about it as a policy topic or you're describing your experience in a way that I have rarely ever heard before. And I think there is learning. So let me ask you this question. How can someone recognize that there must have been something wrong in their life when our brains block it this way is, is over is excessive partying maybe an indication or is it because I don't think it necessarily is correlated. Right. So how do you recognize, how do you revisit this in your mind? My basic
1: issue before knowing that anything that happened to me was I had a huge fear of intimacy. Oh, yes, for sure. I was um, sexually dysfunctional in many ways and emotionally. So I would, um, try on different relationships with different sexes in different combinations. But I could never, never allow myself to be allowed, to be trusted. I wouldn't trust the other person. And there were times that during sex, I would completely freak out, but would not talk about it because I considered myself, I couldn't even understand where this was coming from, what it was Mm. and why it was happening. So to a new partner. I couldn't start shouting or, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I was literally suppressing it. And my, my tendency was to always sort of be numb. So I didn't want to be here. My body didn't feel safe in this time and space. And I felt like there was something wrong with me all the time. Like right now, I was joking to you that I didn't have the right link and it took like five minutes before... Um, I would never have, before I would never have reached out or texted you and said, hey, I'm here. I would have <laughs> Can supposed, you, imagine, like- you know, that probably I misunderstood something, maybe it's another date, maybe it's, but the blame or the fault for anything that would not be properly would be on me. And imagine on a set with so many people where everybody's mm. shouting at, at each other because always something is wrong, like the cord, the cable, the makeup, the whatever. For me, it was always like whenever there was a tension or a friction, I was like, they're talking about me, I did something wrong. Yeah. It was a true nightmare. It really was. I mean, I never mm. felt at ease anywhere. And um, most of the times, this is another valuable lesson for me, having a glass of wine or vodka or five or six or 10 or whatever would provide this peace of mind in the beginning, the first five minutes. But then my mind would still escape Mm. from the escape and go back into the entrapment. It's a paradox. But for me, the only place that would feel safe, my safety, my safe house, where my brain thought was safe, was the most unsafe place for me. So I would tend to create such situations. I thought I was feeling, you know, I was just asking for my death. I was going after loose situation mm. because I, I had a complete anger, ignorance of how things work. You know that actions have the consequences. That this is my body; it has limits in all kinds of of situations. So when the bad thing would happen, I would be like, "Ah, yeah, you know, again, yet again, I'm cursed." You know, mm. it never even mm. even after my accident, it never occurred to me. Man, you were drunk. You were on a highway. There are so many cars, of course you were run over. You know, what were you expecting? I could never connect the dots because I couldn't recognize my actions. So I was a, a, like a, a doll, you know, being carried away by life is how perception was. It's I really, mean, it's unbelievable. Every day it's more. Every day. I can Every imagine. I wake up into my body more to
0: a hundred percent. It's amazing. It is amazing that, that I am with you during that experience. To be honest, I'm, I'm completely speechless to be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, to share what you experienced with our listeners because with the numbers that you share, there must be some people that, you know, anyone listening, there must be someone that, you know, that has been abused. It's just crazy really. So you, you I don't know, I do. I wouldn't wanna say you were courageous, maybe you were crazy or you were lucky to open up to that safe place, the real safe place of opening up and sharing in front of thousands of people on camera, right? What is a safe place? I mean, in my experience with, with that lovely lady, it was that very close friendship between us. You, in your case, you just relied on your coworker, who was a good friend and basically said, trust me, who, how can someone start to share or even investigate or even ask the questions? Therapy, in my view, is definitely an important element, but it's not always the only or the first element, if you want. Who else can we reach out to?
1: Our goal for Greece, and we're collecting money to do that now, is to have a phone line where anyone can call, anonymously even. To my experience, this can be very helpful. I mean, drunk, returning home, and not having taken my car with me because I wanted to be, some of the times I wanted to be, you know, very... Um,
0: Respectful of, yeah, not
1: I was there. on the verge of opening up to the taxi driver or mm. another person that I rarely new i mean for such um situations where shame extreme shame uh, is involved for me it's either a person you really 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 trust or a total stranger who you know will be able to help you so setting up a phone line of experts and people who are there to listen with a very simple uh, you know number i don't know 113 something you can memorize by heart and it would put it out in advertisements and say, you know, just pick up the phone and on the end of the line, there's going to be a person who can listen. And because a lot of people are, are also afraid of the level of fear that's inflicted in you, except from the abuse, is huge. It's not just about admitting to yourself or saying to another person. In most of the cases, the abuser will return after he's been reported with a call or a message. This happened in my case too. And you will be like, did you talk about me? You know, I'm going to f- destroy your life. Because that's their reaction to, to the fear that's mm. provoked in them. So for many cases, no, it's not just about saying, you know, my uncle did this or this person did this to me and I can't say it to anyone. It's also they're afraid that when they report uh, they're going to receive another another round of abuse. So the most important thing for me is that is to be able to provide to anyone, regardless their financial, social status or educational one, to have the whole safety net. So this is what we are trying to do. There's one line where there's all kinds of people to talk about it. There's going to be a psychotherapist, a lawyer that can help you sort out all kinds of things and, you know, any specialty to walk you through it.
0: Yeah. So guys in the show notes, we will leave the link to uh, dimitri 's non profit so, if you want to contribute, I think you' absolutely we absolutely have to all jump in and make this make this work Dimitri, one last thing so because I know your heart since the first time we spoke How is that brother I have no idea man You're <laughs> such an amazing human being really honestly it's i think it 's like you it 's that one message you know forty thousand and one where I felt that day, I have to read this. And you, you just shared with such openness, how the conversation I had on the podcast opened your eyes, which I get a lot. I get thousands of messages that says, Oh, great job. You spoke well on a podcast, but there was something there.
1: I'm sorry. I keep interrupting. I went on your website yesterday and I saw all of the material, some of the stuff that I hadn't seen. And, um, there was this presentation where you present the, the equation of happiness. Mm. And, um, you're very happy and you're speaking about it. And then, and then suddenly you say something about your, uh, your son. Ali. You. Yeah. And, um, it's the story I've heard again, you know, and there's nothing different. I don't know. There's, there's nothing different in how you say the story, but this time. And, I immediately connected and started crying and not because it's what you say and you describe, you say to the brain, think of the worst thing that has ever happened to you. And now start counting numbers, blah, 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 Mm blah. And so it wasn't, it wasn't that I went into the, the stereotypical sad story. I really believe some souls are just connected for unknown reasons. And my tears were not, were not just tears. They were tears of, uh,
0: yeah. Recognizing. mean. I know exactly what you mean. You know, for many, many years, the engineer in me continued to say, so the way I think about life is I have a big part of life in a place in, in my brain I call compartment two, which are things I cannot prove and I cannot prove against. So I sort of park them there and say, I'm not really sure, right? But the constant evidence that you get of people, beings, I was going to say, beings that pop up in your life, that are already so close. It's like, I know, th- I know this person, right? And sometimes you say, oh no, we met because we have this joint mission and we're going to do something together. And no, and sometimes it's just nothing, no mission, nothing. It's just, I I know this person. And so you start to wonder if there is, there must be some kind of non-physical connection. I mean, if you think about that, the fact that we've never been in the same country, I, I mean, together in front of each other. I've been to Greece many times. I didn't know you then. Next time you're going to buy me coffee, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, But you have to start wondering. And, and I actually would say, this was, was what I was leading with the conversation. Do you believe that also events are that way? That those events happen in our life because somehow there is a higher connection it abuses our body or our psyche in our physical form, but it maybe connects to something else. Yes, for sure.
1: For sure. Okay. I mean I for some reason, which you know, I might think I've discovered today already, but it might prove towards the end of my life or even after, on the next life, or you know, if anyone believes in that. It's in my compartment too. It's so sort of <laughs> <my device>. yeah. <laughs> Yes, I really believe in. In events in that way. I mean, when I had this terrible accident, because it was out of nowhere and I sort of started thinking because I was still in that delusional way of thinking that this could be a dream that I'm
0: leaving from. I know I thought that way for a while. I actually never shared that in public. But in the early, early times of losing Ali, I was like, okay, I must have been hit by a truck and this I am in a coma and this is my dream. Right. It's again it's that denial. Your brain is going like, no, no, it didn't happen. Ali's fine. Or, you know, in your case, I wasn't abused or something. Nothing went wrong. It's just a dream.
1: But for me, the the event that changed the course of all of the events was the accident. So once I realized I wasn't dreaming after the accident and it had happened and all the beforehand events had happened too, realizing that I could have been killed there. And would have been another story, tragic. I don't know. Actor dies at young age, twenty six. Uh, the cursed, uh, blah, blah blah blah. I would have never discovered what had happened to me. Why? Why it was this way? A totally different cycle. But once I survived, I could understand. I understood this was a very, very crucial moment and event that did not happen, you know, just like that. So from then on. I want it to start making sense. It's like when a lot of dramatic things happen to you, it can also be helpful in a way. It's like a sign. It's something. Something. You need to, to discover something. And uh, and I think what I've come up with, to me, it's uh, it's an amazing gift. I, I've heard people, you know, sharing uh, about difficult stories and saying they wouldn't change anything, and I didn't believe them. I'm like, you know, they're publicly lying. Who wouldn't have wanted a very
0: simple life? Would you take it back, would you? No. I mean, if you had it, you would keep the abuse, the the drug abuse, the alcohol, the issues with intimacy, the accident, you wouldn't erase any of it.
1: (laughs) Because I wouldn't be where I am right now. And the place I am right now, I wouldn't want to change any of the events that drove me here.
0: I think this is pure wisdom. I think this is pure wisdom. I think we will end here, (laughs) honestly, honestly, because this is pure wisdom. The person that I am right now, I'm just repeating Dimitri's words, the person that I am right now, I wouldn't be here if I changed any of the events that led me here. And I find it incredible that for so many of us, as we're going through hard times, I don't know how many of us have gone through things that are as hard as this, by the way, Dimitri, my heart, aches every time you tell me your story. But even all of us, when we think through the times that were hard and we realize how they made us the person that we are, often we say, yeah, it was hard then, but it feels amazing now that we are where we are. I can't thank you enough. So we're gonna let people go now and then you and I can continue our chat until your next shoot. But for everyone who's listening, Uh, I hope you love this man as much as I do. This is an incredible human being. I don't understand how he has the courage and the strength to share so openly with so many of us so that we can find our path too. Dimitri, I am totally fascinated. I love you dearly, man, and you're a very, very dear friend. Thank you for being with us.
1: My pleasure is all mine. Thank you. It's a dream that I'm here, really. It really is. I would never, Mm -hmm. never in my wildest dream, when I was listening to your podcast, A few months ago would never even begin of dreaming that we would
0: be having this conversation. It was always planned. And for all of you listening, please, please take note of this conversation. I think this is really profound in many ways. And also please take action. I think for many of us, it's unacceptable that those that we love can be abused. And I think we absolutely have to start to educate ourselves, educate others, warn our children, and really bring those out in the open because when they're spoken about in Dimitri's experience and in my brief experience, basically they vanish, they heal. And I think talking to a dear trusted person or to someone they don't know at all, if you've been through an experience that's traumatizing, please share it, please open up. And I think that would make all the difference in the world so today wasn't the lightest of our conversations here on slow-mo but I think one that was very necessary one that I loved very dearly I hope you enjoyed it too I hope you tell others about it and uh, what can I say I'm so grateful that you give me the opportunity to be with such wonderful people make such amazing new friends I love you all for listening and I will see you next time